You're listening to a teaching from Vintage Church LA. This week, we're hearing from a special guest speaker. Wow, thank you. Thank you so much. That really helps because I am super nervous. Uh, This is the first time, well, no, second time because I preached at the 9.30. So hopefully I won't be as stiff in this one as I felt in the last one. But um, yeah, my name's Lizzie, married to Gab. We have three kids. And um, yeah, it's just so good to be here and have this chance to speak to you. Gare will be back next week. He is currently at the HTB Focus in London. Um, learning lots of things of how we can make ours bigger. <laughs> Sorry, Savannah. <laughs> okay. So, it, let's see. Where do I start? Okay. So, Gare does this story every year, and it's usually at the time when he wants to speak on generosity. Um, but this story paints me in a bad light. It really says that I don't have a ton of generosity. So, for those of you who don't know my donut debacle story. I'm not going to share it. (laughs) Um, But yes, I did eat 11 donuts in the car on the way to the Grand Canyon whilst Gare was sharing a really long story. Um, So when Gare first asked me to preach this summer, I jumped at the chance to give him a good old-fashioned roast. Um, And I wanted to get back at him for all the embarrassing stories of my life that have been in his sermons. Um, But the truth, sad truth, maybe not, but the good truth, it is the truth. He doesn't have any. He is um, pretty good all the time, most of the time. Um, So yes, it's very clear that I'm the fun one out of the two of us. Um, But he does have an incredible, he has an incredible amount of integrity and his character is rooted in God, even if for this sermon today, he's really boring. (laughs) Um, So today, preaching at Vintage, I am really aware that I don't have the same experience or the theological study and depth of our previous summer speakers. I mean, come on, they have been phenomenal this summer. We've had Jason Ballard from a church in Canada, pretty good. Uh, We've had our own spectacular preachers, Johnny and Cheyenne. And Bishop Ulmer, I mean, he's always a treat, always. And last week, Dr. Henry Cloud, who is a dear friend of ours. Um, So as each week passed and I watched and listened, I panicked more and more about today. But what you will get from me is my passion and love for Jesus and for this church and to build the kingdom of God here in LA. So here we go. Let's look at Philippians chapter four, starting at verse four. Rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident, the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, With thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So to give you a quick overview of what Philippians is about, because we've been doing it now all summer, so I'll keep it short. 
It was written during Paul's imprisonment in Rome around 60 AD, about 30 years after Jesus' resurrection and ascension. It was 10 years after Paul first preached at Philippi. The letter to the Philippians is one of the most quoted and memorable of Paul's writings, and it provides encouragement, theological instruction, personal reports of Paul's journeys, and conveys Paul's deep personal gratitude to the Philippians for the way they've loved and cared for him. Now, just a few facts to back it up. Philippians consists of only four chapters with 104 verses, and joy and rejoicing are mentioned 15 times, whilst Jesus is mentioned over 40 times. Therefore, we can assume that joy and happiness are clearly only to be found in the life of Jesus. It is safe to say also that Paul had a real soft spot for the church in Philippi. Now, I've had experience about what's involved in starting a church a long way from home in a foreign country. Because yes, to an Australian, America is a foreign country. Even though we speak the same language and we were founded by the other foreign country. <laughs> Don't tell Gare. Um, I can safely say as co-founder of this church that any church planter would be ecstatic to have a planting story like this one. Because Paul saw unbelievers come to know the love and grace of Jesus. He saw people set free from demon possession. They, the church were loving each other well and serving their community, and they were doing well financially. They were taking good care of Paul, particularly in this season of imprisonment. In modern terms, the church in Philippi was very successful, particularly remembering that they were under Roman rule and surviving in a very hostile environment, much like for Christians here in LA. Throughout the book of Philippians, Paul urges them to follow his example, especially during times of persecution, where he says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 14, and because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Now, during his imprisonment, it was normal uh, for the Roman guards to be chained to other prisoners, and this was the case with Paul. Now, I want you to get to know me a little bit more. This is where my mind goes. What if Paul wanted to sleep? Do the guards get down and spoon him? Do they cuddle? Do they, I mean, how do you go back to back? I mean, it's, what if he needed to go the loo? I mean, does the guard, what do they do then? Um, I actually feel it was more punishment for the guards than it was for Paul. And every few hours, a new guard would come. And I've often wondered if the guards who were under Roman rule and not Christian um, would toss a coin to see who got the next shift. And if it went something like this, I can't take it today. He's always happy. He's always rejoicing in his God. Can you take this? I'll do a double tomorrow. I mean, no doubt Paul spoke of Jesus and the power of grace in his own life, plus the countless miracles that he saw firsthand. 
And I often wonder how many of those guards came to know Jesus because of Paul. I mean, they could not escape his commentary. And I was totally like that when I first became a Christian, when I was 19. In fact, my brothers, and I didn't come from a Christian home, they thought I'd joined a cult. So I can imagine Paul would have known about the guards' families, he would have asked them their names and listened to their stories. And this is such a wonderful testimony and witness of joy and happiness in suffering. Okay, so now I don't want you to get your knickers in a twist because I would like to state for the record that when I talk about happiness throughout this sermon, I am actually referring to biblical happiness. Scholars and theologians over the years and centuries have made it extremely clear that happiness, cultural happiness, is fleeting and it comes and goes based on our circumstances. Whereas joy is a deep inner feeling of contentment and can't be shaped by our circumstances. However, both joy and happiness are mentioned many times in the Bible and have a similar use when explaining the inner effects of a life with Jesus. And the reason I'm mentioning this is because I've never had an unbeliever or a new Christian sit down and say, I want more joy. I'm searching for joy and I just can't find it. Or a parent say to me, I just want my kids to be joyful. So whilst it might come across as semantics, I actually think that when people say that who are not believers in Jesus, they're searching for what we call joy. So for the talk today, whenever I talk about happiness, I'm talking about biblical happiness. Paul uses joy and happiness in a way that says a godly life is a thriving life despite our circumstances. The search for biblical happiness over cultural happiness starts from the inside and works its way out. And most of the time, we flip that and we're chasing the wrong side of happiness and search for it from the outside in. C.S. Lewis has written about this and he says, human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. In the search for cultural happiness, we think the right job, the right relationship, sexual fulfillment, drugs, alcohol, more money, more things, they will be the trigger that fixes all of our needs and makes us happy. However, when we are filled with the pursuit of God and searching for the joy of the Lord, we are filled with gladness, rejoicing and happiness. Therefore, I personally feel that biblical happiness is the same as biblical joy. Biblical happiness is cultivated in being content with what we already have, being content with God's provision, appreciating God's provision over acquisition. 
Joy and happiness are captured when we chase Jesus, not in the circumstances around us, but in the power of him in us. Happiness is not found in the pursuit of our pleasure, but in the pursuit of our purpose. I encourage you to chase the joy that transforms us from the inside out. This kind of happiness and joy is based on God's character, not our circumstances. Paul goes on to say in chapter 4, verses 12 to 13, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Now, as much as I love vintage church and Sunday mornings are my favourite time of the week, for me, there is nothing like worshipping corporately. But if I was searching for cultural happiness, I would not have co-founded this church here in LA. Before moving here in 2011... We had lived on three continents, in four countries, nine different homes, and had three children. And to be honest, I was absolutely done with the instability of our life, and I was craving to settle down and stop moving and create a home for my babies. So when Gare asked me to sit with him in the early hours of a Sunday morning in Raleigh, North Carolina, Um, The first miracle happened because all three of my kids, one of which was a two-year-old, actually he was one then, were asleep. So I knew something was coming. And Gare said to me he felt the Lord had begun to nudge him to build a new church in a major global city and we would start this new church with little to no worldly provision of our own. (laughs) In fact, we would move to this major global city by ourselves, not with a team. We wouldn't have any money and there was yet to be a church building. So I very graciously and with all the love in my heart for my fearless leader, told Gare that as God had not mentioned any of this to me, he was to go on his own. And as with Gare and all his Britishness, he looked very lovingly back at me and very politely asked me to take it to the Lord, to which I very kindly replied in all my Aussiness, far out Gare, I don't need to do that because if it was gonna happen, the Lord would have told me first. (laughs) So the long story short here is I wrestled with God like never before in my life. I pleaded and I begged and I sobbed during my quiet times, asking Gare, God, not Gare, <laughs> although I did ask Gare a lot, um, if God could change Gare's heart, I begged that God would give Gare a new vision. So, there was one moment of hope for Gare. <laughs> When I was folding mountains of laundry, because three kids, you know, 
Thank you. Um, he put on a podcast and he said to me, I've just listened to this amazing preacher in New York called Tim Keller. And he had a similar situation to what you're facing in that he felt called to New York from the suburbs and he had young kids and he was struggling with bringing his kids to a major global city like you are. So he said, when, when I get home, I'd really love it if we could talk about this podcast. <laughs> so I took it as, hmm, he wants my opinion. He's, um, he needs me to give insight and wisdom. So I started listening to it and it was really quite phenomenal. But I realised it was an ambush <laughs> because the story, but the story was too compelling for me to turn off. And towards the end of the testimony, Tim Keller said one thing which I have never been able to shake off ever since. He said this, if cities are where culture is created and set and then ripples out to the suburbs, isn't this where Christians should be flocking to? If Christians want to make a difference to this world and their children's world, then doesn't it make sense for Christians to be flocking to global cities and fighting for kingdom culture that can then ripple out to the rest of the nation and the world? I figured I was screwed then. <laughs> Eventually, I submitted to the Lord's calling to an even bigger adventure than my longing for comfort and stability. Now, I want you to understand here, God cares about the finer details of my life and he knew that actually my mental health needed stability. Um, however, I felt the LA culture was too forged in darkness for God to be able to work in mine and my children's life. And I wanted joy, an abundance of joy. And I just didn't think God was here. <laughs> Obviously he was way before we came. And um, the problem is not that the Lord doesn't want us to be happy. The problem is that we usually try and control God's provision with our preferences. Because we all have preferences. We prefer life to go a certain way. We prefer what we want when we want it. We prefer that our prayers were answered the way we envisioned in the timing we imagined. And for me, I preferred to stay in Raleigh, North Carolina, where life was simpler and a lot cheaper. We could afford the house we were living in. It was in a cul-de-sac where the kids played in the streets um, with all the other neighborhood kids and the public schools still enjoyed an undercurrent of Christian values. I would have preferred to stay in the beautiful church building that Gare was working in, and he got paid a nice salary to do that. And I loved my friends there. And the kids had friends. But God's purpose for my family was far more adventurous and in fact more meaningful than my need for comfort and security. To be totally honest with you, my submission to the Lord was simply an act of obedience. I knew God's character and I knew I could trust Him. So I let go and moved out of my comfort 
into calling. Now, there have been many ups and downs, and some of the downs have been incredibly low. And if you're at my talk at Focus, you'll know that personal story. And I didn't, it's sometimes in those, those moments, I didn't feel joyful or happy. But I have always had hope that God is working and that he would bring me through whatever I was going through. And I can hang on to that hope because he says he works all things for good for those who love him. In a world lacking of hope, I can be logical and know for certainty that God is with me and will deliver me and promises never to leave me. And that's a message that's really good for LA. When we trust God with all we have and give all we have, God's generosity will overflow in our lives. And most of the time, really all I'm asking for is God's generosity of grace and peace in my humanness. Sometimes we can't see why God is doing things the way he is. So we just have to be obedient and trust him. Sometimes it's just that simple. We don't need to overanalyze it or look for multiple reasons in the Bible where God does something miraculous because he can do something miraculous. But sometimes he just wants you to trust him and follow him and be obedient. So I'd encourage you to don't look back with regret. Don't look around you with worry. Look up and trust God that in everything in your life, he is working it together for your good. When we come to realise how much God has done for us and what great things he has in store, the result is a steadfast hope. And that hope turns into an inexplicable peace that turns into joy and that joy produces strength. As we focus on God's presence and promises, our joy and strength will increase. But if we focus on fallible, fickle people and uncertain circumstances, our joy and strength will decrease. So I ask you to learn to be content and it's interesting that Paul says, learn to be content because it's not something that comes naturally. We have to learn to trust God, learn to trust his sovereignty, learn to trust his provision, learn that God is in fact in control and learn to trust this control. When we trust his sovereignty, we develop a contentment in what we have in our lives. Paul confirms this in chapter four, verse 11, when he says, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every and any situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. So our happiness is not connected to our necessity, but to our certainty that God is in control. So if you nodded off, I'm gonna say it again, because this is 
This is key. Our happiness is not connected to our necessity, but to our certainty that God is in control. So we have this interesting dichotomy where on one hand we have, I can do all things through Christ. Christ. And on the other hand, it says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And they both hinge on Jesus. With him, we can do all things, but without him, we can't do anything. Biblical happiness and joy are cultivated in contentment with the provision of God, having a core level confidence that God's got this, that he is working in the midst of our struggles. And I have learned over the past 12 years of life at Vintage that one of the keys to joy and happiness, happiness is to live in obedience, fully surrendered to God. And that did not come natural to me. <laughs> I have found when things aren't going great, when I've been hit with the unexpected and the low times are just getting lower and are not starting to move upward like I would like, I lean on the character of God as my one true constant. Because I know Him and I trust Him. And He is the same today as the day I met Him 34 years ago. And we have been blessed with the Word of God. We have the Bible. And His character and narrative is the same from the first word in Genesis to the last word in Revelation. And that narrative is of a loving God who is always looking to bring us back into his loving embrace, who is quick to forgive me and to repair things that I've messed up. And he's quick to console and comfort me when people have messed up against me or towards me. It helps during the tough times to surround myself with music that worships and elevates Jesus so that my heart and mind can be restored and renewed around the truth of who he is. I like to spend time with good friends who not only love me, but love Jesus and can challenge me when I'm overanalyzing or getting a bit gossipy or <laughs> reading things upside down and angry that someone spoke to me like that. It's good to have friends that can bring you back. And of course, I pray throughout the entire day. And my prayer life is less about one quiet time in the morning and more of a constant conversation with the Lord throughout the day. And it can look like this. Lord, I can't do this. Where's Starbucks? Where's the closest Starbucks? Oh, I forgot my phone. You're going to have to guide me. Um, and, or it can be, I can't face that person today. Can you make that we just don't see each other? Or can you give me a heart of love towards that person? Or, hey God, I'm feeling good today. What are you up to? Can I join in? Like it's, it, it, my relationship is with the living God. And so I communicate with him in my day. Regardless of the chaos some scenarios confront me with though, I have learned to stop my thinking and be logical about who Jesus is, what he has done for me and what his promises have been 
for me in the future. And this hope has become my anchor. And it's the only anchor that makes sense in the chaos of my world. So remember when we talked about Philippians chapter four, it says, I'm gonna say it again, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. So Philippians begins with grace and it ends with grace. And it's full of hope, joy, and happiness. And this is found inside the grace of Jesus. So church, I want to challenge you this week to chase contentment, chase biblical happiness and joy, and most importantly, chase Jesus because the others are easier when you're in love with him. So can you stand with me? I'm gonna pray. Jesus, I'm so grateful to have the opportunity to preach your word today. And Lord, I ask that you bring your Holy Spirit of peace over this room. We welcome you here by your Holy Spirit. Come, Lord Jesus. Thanks for joining us for another week. We'd love to connect with you at one of our gatherings or online at vintagechurchla.com.